The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Good morning. Some of you I know, many of you know, some of you I don't, and don't know me, so I'm going to introduce myself a little bit, but before I do that, if you want, we're going to be looking at Psalm 39 this morning. If you want to turn in your pew Bible, if you don't have your own, you can do that. It's on page 467, 68. Um, that's what we're going to look at this morning. My name's Jason Little, long-time listener, first-time preacher. That was funnier as I thought about that in the seat. Um... I am a minister, uh, a pastor, that works with our denomination's campus ministry, which is called Reform University Fellowship. We're on about, 100 and, about 170 campuses across the United States and in six or seven different countries. Um, my job is I oversee and support campus staff, campus ministers, and interns on about 17 to 20 campuses in Virginia and North Carolina. So... I used to be a congregational pastor and a campus minister and got to stand up in front of people and talk about God's Word every week, and that was a great privilege. I haven't done that in a while. Um, so thank you um, to the elders here for giving me the opportunity to come and preach this morning. Um, it's a great privilege to open up God's Word with you guys. I've got a family that also worships here, Caroline, my wife, who's a nurse, two daughters, Wren, who is a sophomore in college, and my daughter, Eleanor, who's a senior at at PH. So thank you guys for being our church family. Um, love you guys. So, all right, before we look at Psalm 39, I do just want to give you two orienting points um, mentioned. The book of Psalms, which we're going through for the next couple of weeks here at CTK, is a collection of prayers. And they're ancient prayers written thousands of years ago, hundreds of years before Jesus. Uh, many of them are poetic. They're rooted in Asia with the people who have their history in Africa, so it's, it's a non-Western document. They're liturgical, which means these are prayers that were written in order to be read corporately by God's family when they gathered together. That means even if it's a psalm by David or about David, which today's is, Psalm 39, um, it's, these are prayers that God's people have owned for thousands of years. So... Um, in the lips of young and old men and women, slaves and free, these prayers have been offered up to the living God as beacons of hope. So um, that's what the Psalms are, um, God's inspired prayer book. But it's also, this Psalm especially, Psalm 39, I think you'll see, is a very real, honest, and quite frankly, raw human prayer. It's a real prayer. If you're not a Christian or kind of just new to the Christian faith, Psalm 39, I would commend to you as like a, a great place to figure out what this prayer thing is because it, it's honest and it doesn't end with a uh, pious expression of confidence. It ends with the struggle of faith, the struggle of knowing God in a broken world. And so maybe that'll be refreshing to you if you're not a Christian and you think, Christians can be overly pious. Hopefully this portion of God's Word can open your eyes up to something different. Um, second thing, all of Scripture needs to be read 
in context of the big story of the Bible, which is creation, fall, redemption, new creation, or very good, lost in sin and death. God's grace comes to save and rescue, and then he makes all things new. This psalm was first prayed after the world had fallen apart, become a mess. God had promised to change it, but nobody had yet seen how he would do that. In other words, this psalm is first prayed before Jesus comes to prove that God can keep his promises. And so it's prayed from the mess of life. It's prayed from a stance where I have hope, but I have no idea how that hope is actually going to happen, or if it will happen. So that's where this psalm comes from. With that in mind, let me go ahead and pray, and then we'll read it together, and we'll hear God speak. Father, you have bid us to gaze upon your loving heart in the face of Jesus. And because we cannot see his face now, today, in this room, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit so that we could hear him speak through this, his word. Would you send the gospel to come with conviction and with power, filled with the Spirit, so that we can all see with renewed eyes how deep your love is for us. We ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, Psalm 39. I'll read it, y'all follow along. It's a Psalm of David. I said, I will guard my ways that I might not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle, so long as the wicked are in my presence. I was mute and silent. I held my peace to no avail. My distress grew worse. My heart became hot within me. As I mused, the fire burned. And then I spoke with my tongue. O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you've made my days a few handbreadths. My lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind, all humanity, stands as a mere breath, a vapor, a mist. Surely a person goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing. They are in turmoil. A person heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather it. And now, O oh Lord, for what do I wait? For now, O oh Lord, what do I wait? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all of my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of the fool. I am mute. I do not open my mouth. For it is you who have done it. Remove your stroke from me. I am spent by the hostility of your hand. When you discipline a person with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. Surely all people are a mere breath. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my cry, my shout, my scream. Hold not your peace at my tears, for I am a sojourner with you, a resident alien or refugee, 
like all my fathers. Look away from me that I might smile again before I depart and am no more. The word of the Lord. Cheery psalm, huh? Happy Sunday. Psalm 39 walks through a spiritual crisis that ends with God's presence. But God's presence in this moment, though it is seen and felt, is not experienced as a comfort. When Tobias said, pick any psalm you want to preach, I was like, okay, I'll pick one I haven't done before. And I picked based on length. (laughs) I was like, I should find something that's short since I'm a guest preacher. Um, Maybe you're wondering, why in the world would you preach? Like, why choose this psalm? One scholar said about this, the speaker flounders in a world of radical ambiguities. Do you ever feel like you flounder in a world of radical ambiguities? Psalm 39 articulates despair and hope at the same time. In so doing, it portrays the way life really is, terrifyingly short, yet awesomely wonderful. Terrifyingly short, awesomely wonderful, and it represents the tension inevitably involved in our response to life. That is, hopeful awe and unspeakable despair. Have those two ever been held together in your life? The glorious color of a sunrise on a cool summer morning, hopeful awe, the worries of the day rush into your mind, unspeakable despair. This psalm to me feels like playing with magnets. Have you ever picked up magnets and tried to force them together the wrong way? You know, if you, if you hold them the right way, they, yeah, they click. If you try to force them together the wrong way, you can never quite get them to touch, right? You push them together and they, they just push each other away. And that to me is the emotional experience of this psalm. It holds things together that like are just pushing away from each other. And that tension, the silence of that tension in Psalm 39 is actually what leads the person who offers this prayer closer to God. Closer to God. Silence leads to prayer, speaking. Despair leads to healing. The shadow vapor of life opens up to hope. You could say Also, God's presence at the end, verse 13, leads to discomfort. And so, to me, this feels like a magnet. If you're you're into black and white answers or the easy moral calculus for life, I don't think this prayer will be for you. Um, The weight of silence, the W-A-I-T, the weight of silence in Psalm 39, does not lead you to a formula that explains life, but it does lead you to a person, Jesus, who redeems us. The weight of silence in Psalm 39 
leads God's people past, present, and today to Jesus. But it's going to take us a minute to get there. So here's what we're going to do. Psalm 39 in us. Psalm 39 in us is the first part of the sermon. And then the second part, for those of you who are outliners, is going to be Psalm 39 in Jesus. But let's start with Psalm 39 in us, which I think is a refreshing, honest depiction of what faith feels like. Notice that this psalm is woven with threads of silence. In the first seven verses, the person who offers this prayer is silent in front of others, silent in front of people, largely because speaking doesn't feel safe. The world feels hostile. And so the prayer chooses silence. In verses 8 through 11, as the person considers who they are, they become silent before God. And so Verses 1 through 7, silence in front of people. Verses 8 through 11, silence in front of God. And then finally, in verses 12 and 13, prayer breaks into words. Prayer breaks into words, and a plea is hurled at the Lord. But let's start with the silence in front of people. In these first six verses, the prayer says, I will guard my ways that I might not sin with my tongue. I will muzzle my mouth so long as the wicked are in my presence. I will be mute and silent. I will hold my peace. And so as I read this, this feels to me like the silence of moral superiority. You know that moment where because you can't say anything nice, you'll say nothing at all as you sit in judgment on those around you? It's principled silence because look what happens inside. My distress grew worse. My heart became hot. As I mused, you see the internal dialogue hasn't stopped, the fire burns. And so this is that silence of moral superiority in a world that doesn't feel safe to offer your real opinions. Do you ever feel this way? Like because of what you see and what you feel, it's just better to not speak. Because if people heard what you said, they probably wouldn't like you too much or they'd attack you. It's just not safe to say what you really think. To me, this is the experience of social media, right? It's a place where it's not, you're surrounded by friends, but they're more like frenemies, because you know, like, what's the greatest joy of people in social media? To use wit and cynicism and superior rightness to show how silly other people are, to laugh at them, to mock at them. Like, it's tearing people down, and so what do the cautious do on social media? You lurk, but you don't post. Right? You type in your response, but you never hit send. You just kind of let it burn inside because you know if, like, if I put it out there, I'm going to get destroyed because that's what people do. And so you lurk in silence. And what happens to your heart as you watch the interweb, as you surf Facebook, your heart burns, the anxiety builds, the world feels t like more unstable. Um, and then we come to verse 4. Verse 4, the impossible weight, W-A-I-T, of silence leads the psalmist to speak. He finally does break out in word. O oh Lord, Make me to know the end of my day 
What is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. Isn't that fascinating? I mean, this is, that's fa- this is shockingly humble. Because the prayer isn't for deliverance or vindication or even for comfort. What's the prayer for? Wisdom. Help me know that my life is just a breath. Help me know my opinions aren't that important. Help me know I don't have the, cha- I don't have the weight of trying to change the world. Help me know that my days are few, that they pass like a vapor. Not for deliverance, not for comfort, not for vindication. Self. Wisdom is what the prayer is for. But before we unpack four more, I really want us to camp out for a minute in the silent rumination of verses one through three. That psychological pain of feeling lonely in an unsafe world. Because I think that that's where we live a lot of the time. Before we can get to that wise prayer of verse 4, many of us walk days, months, years of feeling silently alone in a not safe world where it's easier to hide than to speak. But in that silence, are you really silent? I'm not. I'm constantly thinking, worrying, scheming, daydreaming, lusting, plotting, hoping, complaining, grieving, laughing at myself or others. The inner dialogue is constantly churning. It never stops, does it? I mean, just think about it. Can you sit for five minutes and listen with a quiet soul? Can your mind cease for five minutes to enjoy like the birds and the wind or maybe even just like the hum of your appliances in the quiet of your house while you're not there? Have you ever tried that just for five minutes to just quiet your soul before yourself or before God? Usually by minute three, even if I'm holding my tongue, if I'm not sharing my hot takes or my thoughts, my soul doesn't stop talking to myself. And I doubt I'm alone in that experience. Here's what I think Psalm 3 is, 39 is trying to get us to see. Is that unquiet soul is actually there because God made us for himself. Ecclesiastes 3 says that the Lord has put eternity into the hearts of people. There is a restlessness within us, a disquiet, that will only be satisfied by the presence and voice of the God who made us. In chapter 17 of Acts, when Paul One of the first preachers of the early church stands up in front of a group of people who didn't have the faintest idea who God or Jesus was. This is what he said. God created every nation of people to live on all of the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. In other words, the sovereign God has determined where and when every human being will live. 
Your neighbor in Roanoke is there for a reason, and it's by God's design. But why? So that they should seek God in hopes that they might feel their way towards Him. That inner restlessness is put there by the Lord, and our lives are designed when and where we live, what we eat and experience, the people we know, to guide our hearts towards encountering God as He reveals Himself in all that He's done, including Jesus. Psalm 39 is an invitation to those who don't consider themselves religious or Christians to see that secret inner dialogue that is hidden from a not-safe world as the starting point of prayer, which is nothing more than knowing God and being known by Him. That silence creates space to lay our souls before God. To get to verse 4, where we say, Oh Lord, make me know the end of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Spiritual silence creates space to lay our hearts and be known by the God who made us. And, and look what, I want you to see what the psalmist prays for. When he finally gets to speaking in verses 4 through 6 and then 8 through 11, what are the two things he asks for? Wisdom and forgiveness. Wisdom and forgiveness. Wisdom to know that his life is short. And forgiveness to know that a large part of his problems come from his own bad decisions, his own sin. He's not going to defend himself. He's not going to open his mouth because he realizes that much of what is hard in life is God's discipline for his disobedience. And so he seeks forgiveness and he seeks wisdom. And in the middle of these two prayers for wisdom and for forgiveness is verse 7. This, this searching question that I would encourage you to hold on to. And now, O oh Lord, for what do I wait? What is it that you are waiting for? When you're in the silence, when you're, you can't quiet your mind, what is it that your heart is really waiting for? My hope is in you. That's the answer to the question. What is it that you were waiting for? My hope is in you, O oh Lord. So here's your homework. A little homework for the week. I know this isn't Sunday school, it's worship, but can I give you homework? As a spiritual discipline, take five minutes and lean into the silence. Instead of filling it with talk radio or music or a book or whatever it is you fill the silence with, the vacuum cleaner, take five minutes and listen. Take five minutes and be quiet. Be silent. And when your heart begins to churn, when the mind begins to spin, oh Lord, what do I wait for? That could be the first churn of prayer. Maybe you'll pray in a new way that you've never prayed before. Maybe you'll be open to being known by the God who made you 
to a new depth that you've never experienced. Ask yourself, how is God using this moment of silence to show me to myself so that I might come before him? How is God using the weight, W-E-I-G-H-T, the weight of silence in a not safe world to open your heart to know his love for you? It's a good question to ask. Psalm 39 invites us to see that psychological crisis, moral confusion, the churn of loneliness are moments where we are invited to lean towards God even as we feel abandoned by Him. Lean towards God in the quiet churn of your soul. Psalm 39. Look at the last two verses. Verses 12 and 13. Because here's where the silence breaks out into a cry. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my cry, my shout, my scream. Hold not your peace at my tears, because I am a foreigner with you. We don't use that word sojourner so much anymore. A resident alien, that is a refugee like all my father's. Look away from me that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. Don't read over those verses. Like, imagine if Stuart would have ended his prayer like that. God, look away from us. We want to smile again before we die. Here's kind of like, when I get to those verses, let me read you the, the Jason Little summary of this prayer as I tried to pray it for myself. God, I need you to pay attention. I'm spent. I want my short, inconsequential life to end. I've tried to hide in silence, surrounded by the wicked, but my anger burned even hotter. I know, I know most of my angst and grief is because of my own decisions, but I need you to listen to my tears. They fall like a flood of silence. God, will you lighten up? Your hand crushes everything that I've done or loved. I feel like a stranger with you. Stop looking at me. I do not want our faces to meet. Leave me alone so that I can at least smile before I die and forgotten. Psalm 39. Who hasn't felt this way with God? Every little kid feels like this with their parents. You yell from the other room, listen to me. But then your parents come in, and they look at you, and what's your response? Stop looking at me. Don't look at me anymore. Leave me alone. Listen to me. Don't look at me. Anybody ever did that when they were a kid? My parents are over there. They can probably verify that it happened. Um, We feel that way with God, too. Listen to me, God. Stop looking at me. Too much. Leave me alone. Psalm 39 ends unresolved. But don't miss that God is there. He is listening. He is looking. And though at this moment when the the prayer was first prayed, and I think many moments when we pray prayers like this, we don't see the resolution. We know because of the big story of the Bible that resolution comes. God kept his promises. 
So what do we do with Psalm 39? What do you do with this prayer? I think the what we do with this prayer is we put it on the lips of our Savior, who became a real human being and walked in a broken world by faith and was put in a position where he had to pray prayers like this to bring the resolution to our loneliness and sin. We know the loving, smiling face of God the Father in what Christ does for us as he lived and walked and prayed as our older brother to be our Savior. Listen to Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 and following. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence, his faith. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered and being made perfect. He became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. That's Hebrews 5. The Word became flesh. Jesus, the Son, became a human, and he prayed this psalm with his own human cry of faith. Psalm 39 on the lips of Jesus brings the story of how God saves a broken world and broken people to its glorious conclusion. It's not unresolved today. Jesus became a man so that he could bear the curse of sin and the guilt of our disobedience. He carried in his flesh our sorrow and even our death. He was surrounded by enemies and unfaithful friends who nailed him to a cross, and he rose again. Jesus perfected faith in order to earn salvation for sinners whose hearts always fail. Jesus lives this unresolved prayer with unwavering faithfulness so that we are no longer strangers and refugees, but we are sons of the living God, children of the Father, heirs of his kingdom. Jesus lived and prayed and died for you so that you could see with confidence the smile of the Father's face forever. Remember Jesus as you hear Psalm 39, because it points to his historic, witnessed life of faithful prayer given for our salvation. In verse 12, Hear my prayer, O Lord, give ear to my cry, hold not your peace at my tears. This is Jesus in the garden on the night he was betrayed in Matthew 26. Three times Jesus asks with tears for God the Father to listen to him and remove the cup that was ahead at the cross. But the Father did not answer the Son. He left Jesus to bear the curse of the world's brokenness utterly alone. Jesus left the garden to drink the cup of God's wrath for our salvation so that we could drink the cup of blessing that he earned on our behalf. The Father literally held his peace 
as his son cried in the garden so that we could know peace by what he did. Verse 13, look away from me that I might smile again before I depart and am no more. Can you imagine those words of prayer upon the lips of Jesus as he hung on the cross? The Father did not look away from Jesus. The Father did not smile. There was no comfort. He was crushed and condemned for us that we might find healing and comfort in his wounds. In Christ, God revealed what Psalm 39 couldn't anticipate, which is the love of the Father in the face of Jesus the Son as he gave his life as a ransom for many, as he came to serve and not be served. Psalm 39, transformed in Christ, prayed by him, we no longer need to ask God to look away. You no longer need to ask God to look away in order to smile. Because it's not just that God is looking at you as his child, but he's inviting you as his child to look up at him and see that he loves you as a father who's redeemed you. Even better than not having to ask God to take his gaze away, it's the father stooping down and lifting up our face, the eyes of our hearts, that our gaze might look at his fatherly love and care that sent his son to die for us. And that's exactly what 2 Corinthians 3 asks us to do. We all, this is 2 Corinthians 3.18, with unveiled face are beholding the glory of the Lord and we are being transformed into the same image, the image of Jesus from one degree of glory to another. And this comes from our Savior who lives and has defeated death. Read Psalm 39 and think, wouldn't it be great to be comfortable when God looks at my life? Look at Jesus and know that he is. The good news, Christ, in Christ you have the privilege of looking into the face of God and seeing his smile and not his displeasure. But is that how life feels? We live after Jesus. We trust the resolution. I mean, for me, Psalm 39 still feels a lot like a lot of my prayers. So is it real? 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Christians are always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we Christians are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal, weak, dying flesh. Our tears, our sorrows, the grief of loneliness in a broken world that doesn't stop even after you know Jesus is our participation in the dying of Jesus, our carrying around in our bodies the dying of Jesus, so that 
the victory, resurrection life of Jesus can also be revealed. Isn't that amazing? The struggle of our weak faith, prayers like Psalm 39, our participation in not only the dying of Jesus, but in His living. And why do we do that here? Why does God want you to walk by faith in Psalm 39 prayer now here? Why not in heaven? Why not be free from all this? For the sake of the world. For the sake of those who don't yet believe. Because they need to see the crucifixion in the resurrection in those who trust in the victory of Jesus. Walking in faith, the weight, the W-A-I-T, of silence and prayer is filled with the weight, W-E-I-G-H-T, of Jesus' glory. The weight of silence is where God fills us with the weight of Jesus' glory. Psalm 39, let's pray. Deepen our faith, Father, that we could believe this is true, and help our hearts cry out to you. And by your Spirit, fill us with a hope that is unquenchable, unquenchable and certain in heaven. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.